I'd like to welcome everyone to our service this evening. So grateful for our God blessing us with another time to come together and fellowship with one another and to experience a time to be encouraged in our faith and refreshed in our souls and to spend this time singing together, praying together, and now coming to study from God's Word. This evening for a little while, we want to study concerning open-mindedness. Now, the theme of the week is living in this present world. So how does open-mindedness affect the way that we live in this present world? We want to study this evening some things that will help us to understand not the virtues of open-mindedness. A lot of times when you hear a lesson about open, or people talking about open-mindedness, it's spoken as if it's a, it's a virtue, that you're just so progressive and enlightened that you'll open up your mind to entertain all kinds of ideas because you're really intellectual and you're really smart. Tonight, we're going to look at open-mindedness as a danger as a danger to the Christian trying to live in this present world. Again, we live in a culture that in its thinking values open-mindedness. And there's a reason why this world values open-mindedness and that this world wants us as Christians to be open-minded people. And hopefully by the end of our lesson this evening, we'll be able to see and be able to understand that and understand just exactly what type of mind that we as Christians are to have. The word or the term open-mindedness means to be receptive to arguments and ideas, willing to consider new and different ideas, not bound by traditional ways or beliefs. You know, we live in a time in our culture today where something that is traditional is oftentimes looked on as bad. You mean you still believe that way? You still think that way? Well, that's what your grandma and your grandpa taught you and what they believe. But, you know, we need to move beyond those traditional beliefs and we need to come to a better understanding of the new beliefs and the enlightenment that we're experiencing in the day and age that we're living in. And I heard somebody say the other day, we're living in a very enlightened culture, but yet we don't know what marriage is. We don't know when life begins. And it seems like the enlightenment in our culture is not about finding answers, but it's about raising questions in order to open up our minds to various ideas and philosophies to try to corrupt our minds and corrupt our thinking in order to take us away from the Creator that created us and calls us to serve Him. And so whenever we talk about being open-minded, we're encouraged by the world to be receptive to arguments and ideas and to look at all arguments as valid and on equal footing with each other. And that if we don't do that, then we're looked at, at, looked at as narrow-minded people. And nobody wants to be narrow-minded. Whenever you mention the word narrow-minded, no one gets a positive vibe from being narrow-minded. And that's the way our culture works. Our culture will create these terms and create a positive impression or a negative impression and then start hurting people into those groups and dividing us up in such a way that you have division in the, in, in among us so that agendas can be advanced. But what we want to understand this evening is that we can't be intimidated by the labels that people may put on us, but rather that we have to be true to our understanding and true to the real truth that God has revealed to us. Just look for a moment at what it means to be open-minded. I just got on the internet and typed in synonyms for open-mindedness. 
You're open-minded. You're understanding. Doesn't any? Don't we all want to be understanding? You're an impartial person. You're very interested. You're very perceptive. You're a very tolerant, and tolerance is really important. So you're a very tolerant person if you're open-minded. You're an unbiased person. You're not bound by prejudices and discrimination. And above all things, you're a fair person. Let's look at what it says concerning narrow-minded. If you're narrow-minded, you're biased. You're chauvinistic. You're dogmatic. You're very small-minded if you're going to allow your mind to be bound by traditional ways and beliefs. You're obstinate. You're just one of those old stubborn people that we just have to put up with and tolerate as we move on in our progressive movement. You're very opinionated. You've got a lot to say about a lot of things, but you don't know what you're talking about. You're just very opinionated. And oh my word, you're an unfair person. We're just so unfair. And so you can see in these synonyms how that there is a positive impression given of an open-minded person and a very negative impression given of a narrow-minded person. And so looking at those two lists, which camp would you want to be in? Well, I would want to be open-minded because I would want to be looked at as a very understanding, impartial, interested, perceptive, tolerant, unbiased, fair individual. I wouldn't want to be narrow-minded. Well, what we're going to look at tonight is look at the Scriptures and see just exactly as Christians, what type of mind are we to have? You know, again, the world extols an open mind. And even in some circles of Christendom and religious organizations, there's the call, we need to be open, more open-minded. We need to be more inclusive of other people and tolerant of their ideas. As Christians, is that the way that we're supposed to be? Well, let's just go through some verses real quickly and see what the Bible says concerning the type of mind that we're supposed to have. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, we find here the description of a ready mind. The Bible tells us that they were more noble concerning the Bereans and those that were at Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. The word ready there means that they were willing and they were eager and they had a predisposition to want to learn. And so whenever they were taught immediately, they received it with all readiness of mind and they searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. We should all want to have a ready mind. We should be willing and eager to learn as much about the truth as we possibly can. So the Bible teaches us here that we should have, through the example of the Bereans, a ready mind. We should have a humble mind, a very lowly and modest of ourself, as the apostle said in Acts 20 and 19, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. I want to have a humble mind because I know that God gives grace to the humble and He resists the proud. And when I have a humble mind, I'm putting myself in a position to be a service of other people. So I see from these examples that I need to have a ready mind and I need to have a humble mind. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 7, Paul refers to the Corinthians' zealous mind, or their fervent mind, and not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind towards me, so that I rejoice the more. The Corinthians had a fervent, they had a zealous mind towards the Apostle Paul. They had a passion for the Apostle Paul. And it was encouraging to the Apostle Paul. And we should all have a passionate mind towards 
towards each other, that we're careful about each one's interest and each one's welfare. So I need to have a ready mind. I need to have a humble mind. I need to have a fervent mind. Romans 8 verse number 6, I need to have a spiritual mind because the apostle says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So I want to have a spiritual mind. I want to have a mind that's influenced and under the direction of the Holy Spirit that comes to me whenever I obey the gospel. I need to have a sober mind. Titus 2 and verse 6, the word sober means to have sound judgment. You young men likewise exhort to be sober minded. You young men that are here, you need to be sober-minded individuals. You need to have sound judgment and good discretion in how you live your life and how you behave yourself in this world. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, I need to have a sound mind. Paul tells Timothy, for God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. A sound mind is a mind that controls all the inordinate desires that we have. It is self-restraint. So I need to have a sound mind. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5, I need to have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. There the apostle is talking about serving the interest of other people. And he goes on to talk about how that Jesus left the throne of glory and He came to this earth and He humbled Himself and He took upon Himself the form of a servant and He was obedient. He was obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And so Paul says, let that mind be in you. So I need to have the mind of Christ. We need to be of one mind. Many verses in the Scriptures that talk about having one mind or the same mind. Unity of thought, purpose, and esteem. Romans 12 and verse 16. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. So I need to have the same regard, or we need to have the same regard for one another. The same esteem and the same respect. Now as we've gone through this list where the Bible talks to us about specific kinds of minds, do you see anything in that list that resembles an open mind? A mind where I have no boundaries and I'm going to accept and be receptive of any argument or or any reasoning or any truth that anybody wants to give to me. It's not there. Those are the types of minds that as Christians we need to focus on. Those are the types of minds where there is virtue and there is praise. But nowhere have we referenced anything that resembles the open-mindedness that's put forth upon us by the world today. In 1 Peter 1 verse 13, a girded mind. Peter says here, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A girded mind. I want to put up here an explanation that I read concerning what a girded mind is. And I know I'm breaking all the rules of PowerPoint by putting all this text up here. But I want to read through it with you. The allusion here is to the manner in which the Orientals were accustomed to dress. They wear loose flowing robes so that when they wish to run or to fight or to apply themselves to any business, they were obliged to bind their garments close around them. So they would bring their garments up and they would bind them and they were getting themselves prepared for whatever duty they were about to engage themselves in. 
The commentator says the meaning here is that they were to have their minds in constant preparation to discharge the duties or to endure the trials of life like those who were prepared for labor, for a race, or for a conflict. A girded mind. What's a girded mind? A girded mind is a mind that is prepared. A girded mind is a mind that is prepared for duty. And that's the illustration that Peter uses here. As Christians, we are to have minds that are prepared for whatever duty, whatever obligation might come our way, whatever trial might come our way in life. In Ephesians 6 and verse 14, Apostle says here, Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now again, some insight concerning this verse. What does it mean to have your loins girt about with truth? The idea here may be that as the girdle was the bracer up or support of the body, so truth is fitted to brace us up and to gird us up for constancy and firmness. The girdle kept all the parts of the armor, talking about the Christian armor, in their proper place and preserved firmness and consistency in the dress. And notice this next statement. And so truth might serve to give consistency and firmness to our conduct. When we gird up our minds, when we gird up our loins with truth, What we're doing is we're producing through that truth a consistency and a firmness in our conduct. He goes on to say, great, says Grotius, who was a philosopher, in the laxity of falsehood, truth binds the man. Notice the next statement. Truth preserves a man from those lax views of morals, of duty, and of religion which leave him exposed to every assault. Let's read that phrase again. Truth preserves a man from those lax views of morals, of duty, and of religion which leave him exposed to every assault. It makes the soul sincere, firm, constant, and always on its guard. A man who has no consistent views of truth is just the man for the adversary successfully to assail. Now, I know that's a lot of reading. But I think that's a very good explanation of what it means to have our loins girt about with truth and the importance of truth. And notice this last statement right here. A man who has no consistent views of truth is just the man for the adversary successfully to assail. You want to know the real reason why the wisdom of the world and our progressive culture lodge the virtues of an open mind? The world, which as we studied Sunday, is evil, corrupt, polluted. A world that is against the purposes of God. A world that wants to see your ruin and my ruin. The reason that world wants all of us to be open-minded is because an open mind is open for assault. An open mind is open for assault. The world wants to move us where the world wants to take us. 
As long as you and as long as I cling to truth, they're not going to move us. It's not going to move us where it wants us to go. And so then what it does is says, you Christians need to be open-minded. You need to quit being narrow-minded. You need to quit being prejudiced. You need to quit being intolerant. You need to quit being unfair. So that our minds will open up and then the world can move us wherever the world wants to take us. Let's go back to this. Truth preserves a man from those lax views of morals, of duty, and of religion which leave him exposed to every assault. How has open-mindedness worked for our culture today? Is it... It shouldn't come as a surprise to us that as the world calls for open-mindedness and as the world espouses the virtues of an open mind, our morals decay. Because what does truth do? Truth restrains. And so as our mind becomes open to new ideas, naturally what's going to happen is morality is going to go in the tank. And that's what you see in our world today. We're open to new and different ideas, so every perversion that comes down the pike, we accept it because we all want to be open-minded. And it seems like the more perverted people can get, the more enlightened they seem to think they are. Because their virtue now is not living within the bounds of some kind of truth, We're going to show ourselves smarter and then going beyond those limits and be going beyond those traditions. And the further away we can get from those traditions, the smarter we think that we are. And all the while, we're destroying ourselves, we're destroying our culture. But you know what concerns me the most is the church. The world is going to be the world. What you and I have to be sure of is that this attitude of open-mindedness doesn't permeate our ranks where we start allowing for things that we know that the truth says is not right or that the truth says should be right. Paul says, or rather Jesus said concerning Satan, he was a liar or he is a liar. He is a liar. Satan wants you to have an open mind. You know, anytime somebody comes to me and they start to tell me something and they preface it by saying, now keep an open mind, I already know (laughs) I'm not going to like this. You know, those of us that are parents, whenever our kids come to us and say, now mom and dad, keep an open mind. Nope. (laughs) Nope. Because they're calling for an open mind because they're wanting to take your mind somewhere where your mind ain't never been before. And so it's important for us to understand that that's why the world wants us to have an open mind. Because the world wants to take our mind someplace it ain't ever been before. You know, the world calling for us to have an open mind is like a thief going through the neighborhood and trying to convince everyone in the neighborhood to keep their doors unlocked at night. You need to keep your doors unlocked. Don't you trust anyone? You just think everybody's a thief. You're so judgmental. You're so harsh to everyone because you lock your doors at night and you don't trust anyone. 
Now, how many of you, if a stranger came to your door and made that argument to you, would you'd, you'd sit down and, you know, hon, we really have been pretty harsh locking our doors at night. Let's just leave our doors unlocked because we want to be nice people. We want to be accepted by the neighborhood. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Some of you are laughing. Well, there's about as much sense in us having an open mind in this world and being convinced by this world to have an open mind and entertain all of the perverted ideas that are out there and being inclusive of all the perverted practices that are out there as it is a stranger coming to our door and trying to convince us and convincing us that we need to leave our doors unlocked. Why does he want to leave your door? Why does he want you to leave your door unlocked at night? Because an open door is open for assault. Why does Satan in the world want us to keep our open our minds open? Because an open mind is open for assault. Second Timothy three verses thirteen to fifteen. Paul said to Timothy, Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceived and being deceived, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Paul didn't tell Timothy. Now, Timothy, when you go around, you're going to encounter a lot of different people and you're going to encounter a lot of strange ideas. Keep an open mind. Keep an open mind. Be fair to everyone. That's not what Paul told Timothy. Paul told Timothy, you continue in the things which you have learned. That sounds pretty narrow-minded to me, doesn't it? That sounds pretty narrow-minded. You see, Paul wasn't concerned with how people out in the world perceived him and Timothy and their approach to truth and how open their mind was. Because the Apostle Paul knew, hey, there's some evil people out there. There's some evil people. There are some seducers out there. And they're going to get worse and worse. So Timothy, you continue in the things which you've learned. And has been assured of. Timothy, have some conviction and have some assurance of the things that you've learned. Timothy, understand knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Timothy, you learned them from me. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And whenever I became an apostle, I didn't go confer with flesh and blood to get my message. My message came straight from Jesus Christ. So you understand that what you have learned, you've learned from someone who received his message straight from Jesus Christ. And Timothy, you remember what your grandmother and your mother taught you. And you be assured of that. And you continue in that. And Timothy, you've been hearing this from the time you were a child. Now you continue in those. That doesn't sound very progressive to me. That doesn't sound very open-minded to me. But what it does sound is very smart. Very smart. You know, a lot of times people today will mock at us. Because we continue in the things which we've learned from a child. It's almost like 
If you encounter someone and you're still believing what mom and dad taught you, you're just automatically ignorant because you're still believing what mom and dad taught you. You need to move beyond that. And we need to understand, mom and dad's not always right. I'm not saying that mom and dad are always right. My mom and dad weren't always right. Me and my wife teaching our kids, we weren't always right. But I would hope that our message and your message would carry credibility with our children. You know what? Because whenever you go to college and you sit in that room with that atheistic professor trying to teach you something that's contrary to what the truth of God's Word teaches, consider the source. Consider the source. Think about the people that love you the most in this world. Yeah, they're not going to be right all the time. But I can guarantee you, they're going to try to teach you the truth. To that atheistic professor, hey, you're just another kid passing through that if he can convince you otherwise of what you've believed all your life, you're just another feather in his hat. And he's going to move you right on out the door. And he's going to leave you to live your life with probably very little concern for you afterwards. And just wait till the next batch comes in. You see, it's important that we understand and that we have a respect for the people that teach us. Not that what they teach us is going to be 100% always correct. But I know that those people love me. They care for me. They want me to know the truth. So I'm going to listen to their message. I'm going to pay attention to their message. And I'm going to give credit to their message. And I'm not going to just walk in and let some total stranger with some certificates on his wall sway me through intimidation and through arrogance and through, as we'll talk about here in just a minute, unruly talk. You need to understand that what you learn as a child, if it's true, it's true. doesn't matter when you learn it. You know, again, people as Christians will look at us and, and, and try to discredit our belief on the basis of how we came to our belief. Well, you were raised in America, so that's why you're a Christian. If you were raised over in India, you'd have been Hindu. If you were raised over in Iran, you'd have been Muslim. But you know what? The question is not, how did I learn what I learned? The question is, is it true? Is it true? It doesn't matter how I learned it or where I learned it, what country I learned it in. What matters is, is it true? But they try to get us to feel intimidated and embarrassed of our belief because of when we learned it or how we learned it. The bottom line is, is it true or not? You you can say to that atheist, well, if you lived in India, you'd been Hindu too. If you lived in Iran, you'd have been Muslim too. I doubt you'd be writing papers and publishing papers saying Allah is dead in Iran. So, in their attempts to discredit our belief, they discredit their own belief. And we need to understand and not be intimidated by their approaches towards us. 
Second John 1, 7-11. Many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speed. Does John say here, if they come into your house, you need to bring them in, you need to sit them down, you need to be open-minded, and you need to give them a fair hearing. You need to hear them out. John said, you meet them at the door, and you send them on down the street. You meet them at the door, and you send them on down the street. You don't have to listen to them. Because we're not concerned about being fair, unfair. We're not being. We're not concerned about. We're concerned about truth. And if they come and they carry this doctrine that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God, that He hasn't come in the flesh, you don't owe that person anything. You send them down the road. You see, our culture today makes us think that we have to be fair and we have to listen to everybody's oddball ideas. You don't. You don't. Titus 1, 10 to 11. There are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers. Notice in all of these verses, in each of these texts, what we're reading, we find the emphasis on the fact that there are deceivers. There are deceivers. There are deceivers. There are deceivers. especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Here the apostle says that they're unruly, they're insubordinate, they're going to step out of line, and they're going to try to draw people out after them also. He says that they're vain talkers, they're senseless, they're mischievous. They're deceivers. A deceiver is a mind misleader, a mind deceiver. And their mouths must be stopped. And that literally means put something over their mouth. We don't want to hear them anymore. You see the danger in open-mindedness, the way the world teaches open-mindedness to us today? It puts our souls in danger. It puts our congregations in danger. It puts our homes in danger. But rather, we have to have a filter of the truth. And we don't owe anyone anything who tries to teach us something that's contrary to the truth of the Bible. The open home, open mind analogy. We talked earlier about it's about a sensible opening up your mind to a world as it is to leaving your doors unlocked to someone going through the neighborhood. You know, we all have these little peepholes in our doors. So let's imagine that you're in bed one night and then you hear a knock on the door. So the door knocks and then you're startled and you wake up and you go to the door. As soon as you go to the door, are you going to open it up and see who it is? You're not going to do that, are you? You're going to look through the little peephole. So let's say you look through the little peephole and you see that character staring at you. <laughs> How many of you are going to open up your door? Come on in. 
I don't know who you are, but, you know, I want to be fair to everyone. I don't want to judge you, even though I don't know who you are and you may be carrying an axe or a knife with you. We don't do that, do we? We got enough sense to know that I'm not going to put myself at peril. I'm not going to put my family in peril just for the sake of trying to be fair and understanding to people. So let's say the next night the door knocks. And you run to the door and you look through the little peephole. And you see that? And you see that character. What are you going to do then? Well, you're probably going to unlock the door. You better because he's one of your elders. You know him. And even though it's the middle of the night, you know that if he's at your door knocking at the middle of the night, this is something I need to be concerned with. This is something that I need to hear about. This is something that I need to be understanding towards. You see the point? You're using a filter. It's not a matter of me giving to this person the same consideration that I would give that person. I ain't worried about fairness. I'm not worried about being understanding and treating both of them equally. I'm going to go with what I have trust in and what I have confidence in. And you know, we sang tonight, Give me the Bible. This is what I have trust in and I have confidence in. And I'm assuming that all of you have trust and confidence in this. Then probably most of us, this is what we've been taught since we were a child. And hopefully we've grown and developed in our faith where we know the things that are in here and we're assured of the things that are in here. And so I have my faith and I have my confidence in that truth. And I don't need to open up my mind to all other ideas that are out there. As if, you know, well, the Bible might have left something out. You know, that's, that's the one thing about all of these new ideas and these new Gnostic Gospels. You know, well, the Bible left something out. The Bible left something out. What's that a call for? What's that a call for? If the Bible left something out, then I'm not going to worry with the Bible at all then. <laughs> because it's not the complete inerrant Word of God. If, some, if there's some other strange stuff out there floating around, then I can't have confidence in this. The simple believe every word. We've been studying in Proverbs, the simple. That's just a person. If you look up the definition of the word simple, it means seducible. This is a person that just doesn't know enough to understand when they're being deceived. The simple believe every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. Ephesians 4, 14-15 That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine and the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. That's why the world wants us to be open-minded. They want us to pull up our anchor where the wind can just take us where they want us to go. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Colossians 2, 6-8 As ye therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him. 
and established in the faith as you have been taught. As you have been taught. Abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. You know what? Open-mindedness, that's a myth. There are no open-minded people. Even the people that call for open-mindedness, they're not open-minded people. That's just a myth. Everyone's mind is bound in some way. Everyone's mind is bound in some way by some philosophy, by some idea, by some way of thinking. You know, you go up to somebody that doesn't believe in God and they're calling for you to be open-minded, ask them, are you going to be receptive and accepting of my view that God does exist that Jesus was born of a virgin, that He came to this earth and He lived perfectly and He died on the cross and was resurrected and He sits and reigns in heaven today as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Are you going to be open to that? Well, they've got to say yes if they're really open-minded. But then that puts them in conflict. I don't believe there's a God, but I believe there's His Son. It makes no sense. The idea of open-mindedness is a concept that is unreasonable and illogical because our minds are all bound in some way. Not all ideas have the same value. Consider the source. Consider the source. Being fair does not mean that we have to consider every idea. There are some ideas I can just say, hey, I ain't going to listen to that. I don't want you trying to teach me that. I don't want you trying to teach my family that. I don't want you to try to teach my flock that. You need to be quiet and you need to move on down the road. Don't allow the stereotype of a narrow-minded person to scare us from making discriminations based on truth and bounding our thinking and lives by the word of truth. Don't be intimidated in that. And understand that what is right... And what is true is what is important. So I hope as we've looked at these truths tonight that it can open our eyes to the dangers of open-mindedness in our world and in our culture. That when we live in this present world, we need to live with minds that are girded about with truth so that we don't allow the world to take us where the world wants to take us but that we stand where we stand upon the truth of God's Word and have the surety that this Word is true. And the reason I know it's true is because the person that this book is about is not in his grave anymore. He's not there. He said he was going to be resurrected. He was resurrected. He's ascended up to heaven. And that seals the deal for me. And it should for you also. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian... We trust that you will consider your condition before God right now. That you'll understand that you're in your sins and you're separated from God. And the Lord calls for you through His grace and mercy by sending His Son Jesus to die upon the cross, to shed His blood, to pay the penalty for your sin. That though He was a righteous man, He suffered as a sinner so that you as a sinner can live as a righteous man. 
to be buried with Him in baptism, to have your sins washed away, to rise and walk in newness of life and live in relationship with Him. Or if you are here tonight and you are a Christian, maybe something that we've studied touched your heart, a word that was said has convicted you of something and you feel a need for confessing your sins, you feel a need to pray for wisdom, for a prepared mind, for a girded mind to stand against the deceits of this world, we'd be glad to help you. So we'd ask one or more to come as we stand and sing.